Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. We're super excited to have the author of A Man in His Car. Oh, that, that must be... Whoa, wait a minute, Dan. Where'd you get that book at? Oh, <laughs> uh, Dan, Dan did hold, a pre-order. Uh, hold on, Matt. Hold on. Did Dan get a signed book already and no, I didn't? Oh no. I don't think that... I don't. I just signed a bunch. No, no, that is without signature. Don't no. worry. No, all worry. right, all right, all right. That's, well, I mean, like, I'm like, is this first date going to go okay, or is it starting off rocky? <laughs> no, no, you're all on the same. You're all on the same playing field right now. <laughs> all right. Well, perfect, perfect. So, uh, so we are here with uh, with Matt Hranick, Um and you're in uh, you in Brooklyn. You in upstate? Yeah, I'm, you in, at- I'm in Brooklyn right now. I'm in Park Slope. Okay, so in Brooklyn, and uh, I don't know if you're not familiar with Matt and the WM Brown Project, it's uh, really, really a cool thing you got going on. I, I actually dressed up, I put my pullover on today, you know, trying to, trying to spice, spice things up. Uh, be sure to check uh, check Matt out. We'll get into his Instagram page and uh, kind of what he's doing. Uh, definitely a world traveler and and uh, just uh, a, a hell of a pedigree, man, you, you've got and the places you go. I, I do, I can't lie when I travel. Uh, I might follow you around a little bit. Uh, I'm not, I'm not stalker status yet, but, uh, I don't know. It depends on how sensitive you are, I guess. Listen, as uh, long as you're not like tracking me down to my soul cycle class, I'm, uh, you know, oh, I, I don't, my, hey, well, speaking of, so talking to, speaking of exercising. So before we get going, um, so I know, so if you're familiar with, um, with Matt's page and the WM Brown project, uh, you see Matt and Yolanda a lot. Uh, they make a ton of cocktails and great cocktails. Uh, I don't want to call them simple. I would say simplistic and uh, it's kind of cocktails that anybody can make at home. Um, Matt was kind enough to, uh, to come in stride. Uh, he's a big Negroni fan, as am I. Uh, but since it's the Birdies and Bourbon show, Matt, what are we gonna, be, uh, what are we gonna make today? <laughs> I think Boulevardier is the way to go, which is the, um, you know, we're just changing gin for bourbon, or in this case, I use a little bit of rye um and i think that is one of the you know legal those that and for, it, for me it's one of the legal changes you can make with this drink like i don't need to see this drink you know be presented from under a smoky hat or anything like that like to get back to the simplicities of, of things like i like drinks with simple straightforward ingredients that don't exceed four normally keep and it classic right one, right because it's three so i just go one 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 two Campari, sweet vermouth, and whatever brown spirit you have there. So actually, um, I'm uh, paying some homage to uh, a local distillery here in Atlanta. It's ASW. We're going to be using the uh, the Fiddler Heartwood. That's fantastic. Right. Uh, Fiddler Heartwood, ASW. Well, you uh, you got to get your boy Sid, man, to get you. Or actually, when you're in town, uh, let's go over and check these guys out. They got a great spot. It's kind of at um, you know where Sweetwater Brewing is in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, so it's just across. It's 
it's the same exit that you would get off to go to Sweetwater. It's just where you would go kind of left to go to Sweetwater. You veer off. There's a little Y in the road. So you take a right and uh, it's right there. And they've got a really, really awesome uh, tasting room. Uh, got a couple of uh, copper pot stills in there. It's a really, really nice place. Oh, but you know, hold on. I, I'm uh, jealous. You're drinking. You're drinking. <laughs> yeah, start drinking. And while you're making that thing, I'll tell you, I was just talking to Sid's gang um, and thinking about trying to make my way down to Atlanta uh, for uh, a book signing, hopefully at Mashburn, uh, kind of after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas. And then the latest issue of the magazine will be out right, right then. And I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I love coming down to Atlanta. There's always great turnout. There's great people that show up a real diverse crowd that, you know, are very like-minded and, you know, enjoy a good drink. And I, I love, I love going down there and it's a great excuse to, you know, do a quote unquote book event down there. That's so awesome. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to, um, we'd may, I mean, maybe if it works out, we could get over, I'm sure Chad and, and the folks at ASW would, uh, would be more than happy to have us in. Uh, we might do something live there even, and uh, maybe do a bourbon tasting. I, I would love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be awesome. Well, before we get started, sir, cheers. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, uh, right? like, I, I should have had a bigger glass. Dan, you, you. I'm not, I'm not following along with you. I don't have all those ingredients here uh, today, but I am drinking some, some old tub uh, bourbon. So, I'm, awesome. I'm kind of following along. So, okay, good, good, good. Yep. We don't, um, we're not going to judge you. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yes we are. Yes, <laughs> I'll, yes we're, 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 definitely gonna, we're definitely going to judge you. Or now. <laughs> all right, so. Uh, so when I reached out for you again, and Matt, thanks so much for responding back. You know, it's like, uh, you know, people at, well, Hey, how'd you get hooked up with that guy? And well, I, I messaged him on uh, Instagram and said, Hey, would you like to come on the show? You just released a new book and, uh, you know, a follow up to a man and his watch. And, and that's kind of where we want to go. Um, but, but I've, I've got to, I got to steer away again. I got to steer one more time and then I promise I'll get back to the book. Um, so, so you're having, you're, you're having a couple of folks over that you just met. Uh, not just, but you're recently acquainted and, and Yolanda and yourself are like, Hey, let's have them over for dinner. Uh, and you don't have to break it all down, but just give me uh, you know, what, what are we having for dinner and what are we drinking? Okay. So there's some very, I mean, I'm really lucky here in Brooklyn to have a back garden, which most people, oh, wow. you know, they exist out there, but you know, having outdoor space in, in New York and Brooklyn is often a real luxury and I'm really lucky enough to have that. And uh, I, I save, I rescue Weber's off the street. So I have like <laughs> Weber's of all kinds of uh, misrepair and and uh, patina in the back garden. So I I love to grill all year round, and I think it's really nice for people to come over that don't get the opportunity for that. You know, unless you're in the suburbs or you're you know out in the country. So I'll I'll do always a mixed grill. I think that's my go-to. We have incredible butchers here old school Italian um, butcher shops with like, like last night we had grilled fennel sausages that like brought me back to oh, like nice. my mom's house growing up. Like, so we have great stuff like that out here. And I do think grilling them in the backyard um, with like big old school Italian salad or like roasted potatoes and like good bitter greens. Like I, I just love eating like that. It's 
really honest and straightforward and just kind of celebrates perfect ingredients. So I would say we do that more often than not. The other thing is like, I'll, I love lazy cooking too. So I love a kind of slow cooker crock pot mm -hmm. to like throw a bird in there or a shoulder of lamb or some pork butt and just like come home to a done, you know, finished meal is always a big reward. So it's a good, it's a good smell it. when you walk in the house, right? Oh my God. Particularly <laughs> in the winter. It's so great. So I think like, again, like, like cocktail ingredients, we keep the food ingredients just simple, straightforward and celebrating the single thing. You know, that's why I don't want to drink crappy gin in my, um, you know, people are always like, ah, you're wasting that good drink and the, in the mixing of, I'm like, come on, dude. Like <laughs> I want to drink and eat the best stuff that I could afford. Right. Basically. Sure. So. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, yeah, I, we're just waiting on an address and a date. So <laughs> exactly. First street, Brooklyn. <laughs> First street, Brooklyn. Perfect. Uh, Dan, are you knocking on the door already? I am. I'm there. Of course. Yep. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, so, uh, let's see, you know, let's, uh, so a man in his car, uh, I said it earlier, it's a follow-up to a man in his watch. Right. And, and it's, uh, although this is birdies and bourbon, it, it's really the Matt Horanic show at this point. So it's your time to, uh, it's in all seriousness, right? I mean, it's your time and, and another outlet maybe to hit some, uh, hit an audience that you haven't hit in the past. So, uh, where do you want to start at? Well, I mean, I am totally an accidental writer and author. Like this is not something that comes really easy for me. Like it was not something I really anticipated doing in my career path. It, you know, I started as a photographer and, you know, moved to New York because I was pursuing photography and I had this editorial dialogue with photography, working in magazines, commercial stuff. And, you know, the, I always was in love with little with machines. Like my dad was a big watch guy and a big car guy. And when I started navigating the luxury space of, you know, legacy publishing magazine world, you know, the, the watch dialogue was a big part of that. So I was going to Geneva and I was going to Basel and like really immersing myself into those in that world, which was completely foreign to me. But I started meeting all these kind of amazing characters. And I would say mostly 99.9% .9 men that just had really killer watch stories. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I love what they're wearing. I love the watch, but the story is really the driver. So when I was approached by artisan books to, you know, we were trying to figure out a men's lifestyle book, whatever. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know, I couldn't concentrate on that at all. <laughs> and then my wife was like, wait, you're coming home with all these watch stories. Like, that's your book. It's a watch book, but it's a story book. So that's how that happened. And it worked really, really, uh, really well for me because it was an interview format. And I, I would just kind of put on my iPhone and talk to these guys about their watches, what I, which I would have been doing anyway. So, the, I mean, the big surprise out of all of that is nobody had done a watch book like that before. Like nobody yeah. approached it with an emotional connection and just this idea of storytelling and in interviews. And I think that resonated. And um, it was good for me because it kept the, writing part to a minimum and the talking part to a maximum. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, the, the natural progression was, you know, the only other group of men that I knew that were so excited about talking about this thing they own, fell in love with, sweat and tears and, you know, you know, slaved over were car guys. So then for me, the, the natural progression was a man in his car. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so. I mean, you talk about the watches, right? And you'll go and and and, and I uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the um, uh, man in his car book yet, but I know in the uh, in the man in his watch. So you talk a lot about Paul and the Rolex, right? And, and to your point, so you get kind of the, you know, the, the, the story behind the watch that you hear in media is you just see the price tag. You don't right. really get any story behind the watch. All you see is, oh shit, this Rolex sold for, right? Whatever. And, and, that but- was, and, this, and this book was not about any of that. I mean, the reality was there are $20 Casios and $20 million Rolex is just because in this case it happened to be owned by Paul Newman and that mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. after the book was published anyway that auction mm-hmm. but it was for me the value of all this stuff was the relationship to the owner with the thing mm-hmm. and then the um you know the intrinsic value that they put on it. it was not about price tag it was never about that and that's why with car yeah could you fill the car book up with like priceless muscle cars and concord ferraris and all that stuff yeah that's easy but that was not important to me it is the right story and i think what was interesting about what i found when i did the watch book is that you know again i would record all this stuff on my iphone and watch guys didn't necessarily have a, um, a kind of open dialogue with people or strangers about why they love this watch. So I would kind of have to many times like kind of, you know, milk the story out of them. The funny thing about cars is like, dude, if you've got that Yanko Camaros that you've wanted since high school, you've been thinking about that story like 24 seven. So as soon as I would ask these guys like, you know, why this Jaguar E-Type? It was just the floodgates were open because (laughs) that's just the way car guys are. Like they've been thinking about this for a very, very long time about why they pursued, loved and own a certain thing. And uh, so my interviews with the watch book would average around 25, 35 minutes and uh, car book, they'd be 10 to 15 (laughs) minutes of just all the thick of it, like all the juice, you know? and then and both of those books started as a self from a selfish place like i had a watch that was left to me from my father passed away and that drove the story of the original you know the, the my my story drove the interest and the same thing with car like it came from a very personal uh place that kind of began the dialogue of why people in this case a man and his down fall, fall in love with these things so, so I think it's the, the opening page and Dan held it up. I think it's uh what, like a sixties ish model, uh, Land Rover. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. That guy. And, and, and yeah. And oh, you've yeah. got a, you, you've got a fetish for Land Rovers. Yeah. I do love Land Rovers. I prefer when they're, um, uh, left-hand drive. <laughs> um, but I do, I, I do love them. Yeah, me yeah, too. And, me too. And is is that uh, so? You mentioned selfish. So is is the Land Rover on the covers of the book for selfish reasons? Well, or it, you know, it's funny. I thought I thought there was gonna. I thought I had photographed the cover because you know we had this iconic watch um, that was owned by Paul Newman. Yep. Which you know, I mean, Paul Newman was pretty effing cool yeah can I say you can cool? say fucking on this yeah. yeah he was pretty fucking cool and you know had great style and just you know presented well in those all those kind of iconic moments and then i photographed steve mcqueen's jaguar that was at the peterson and it's a beautiful car mm-hmm. 
And I was like, maybe this is the cover. Like we can play Newman to McQueen. And then when I came back with the photographs of my friends, completely hodgepodge, beat to death, daily runner, that that car, the, the Series 2, for me, the, the Land Rover was a much better example of the emotional dialogue. Yeah. This hodgepodge, you know, slam together thing that's my buddy's daily country driver. Um, even though it didn't have celebrity status like the McQueen Jaguar. The story and the car just resonated with me um, visually and, you know, in the storytelling aspect. Well, I, I mean, I think it says a lot about, you know, what uh, what you're, you know, what you're putting uh, pen to paper or, or ink to print. Right. I mean, in, in the way that it's happening is it's not the to your, you know, it's not the million dollar car that we're displaying on here just to, hey, let's look at this car and talk about it. It's, hey, here's here's the vehicle that we chose and we chose it. Uh, open the book up and now you'll see the story. And I think that's the really cool part. I mean, it's a, it's the connection, right? I mean, again, a man in his car, a man in his watch, and it's the connection that you make is visually it's, um, uh, it's appealing, it's intriguing, it's inviting, how, whatever accurate, you know, adjective you want to use to, uh, to, 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 to tie you there. But then it's like now open it up and read more. And then, you know, does the first, the first story leads to the next story. And it's like, why yeah. in the hell would you choose that car? And now I'm interested. Well, I want to know. It's like, like the, the Fiat Panda that my friend has in, my friend Paulo has in Lago de Garda, to me is equally as sexy as the Ralph Lauren Mercedes. Like, and, and you think of them in terms of design and purpose of design, and you can kind of go down the rabbit hole with that. But, you know, these guys both have intimate stories of why these cars are important to them. And, you know, Paulo is a, a guy that, you know, teaches in Germany on car design and consumerism. And like, he's been thinking about this. And the guy who designed the car was this guy called Jujaro who worked for Alfa Romeo and like just epic stuff. And then, you know, Ralph's story is just killer too. And Jay Leno, like Jay, listen, you had to kiss the ring. You had to do, the <laughs> do, the, do the voice, just do the voice. <laughs> oh, for riding a steam car, you look around. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Jay Leno, when you get in that garage, like, how do you choose? How do you choose? Like, this guy has never gotten rid of one one thing he ever bought. Like, it's just... How do you choose? So with that one, I said to him, what... You, you basically run off with one car. You're allowed one car that you have this deep emotional connection to. And that's the car you keep. That's the car you tell me your story about. And that was the Buick Roadmaster. Was there any hesitation? Without any hesitation, he wow. was like, it's the Buick Roadmaster. It was the car that he bought when he landed from the East Coast in L.A. He bought it out of the penny saver for 500 bucks. Was the, you know, slept in it behind the comedy store, like kissed his soon-to-be wife in it, like drove it to the last episode of The Tonight Show. Like, that was the car. And I was like, great, that's the car. <laughs> and, you know, I had the pick of the litter there. Yeah. And um, it didn't matter because... Every, uh, you know, I, I had blinders on after he told me that story and I could just only uh, look at that, that car. It's like, thanks for making my job easier, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, you know, you want to go for a ride in a steam car? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so did you, uh, while you were there, did you take, uh, take a trip and uh, take a ride in any of the cars? You know, 
I, I did it. You know, there was, he was actually working on a steam car. You know, he loves those things. And yeah, um, yeah sure. And uh, I think my whole time at that point in LA, I was just like back to back shooting cars. And I was yeah. really on my own there because mm -hmm. I, um, I knew I was, I had to be really nimble and really quick and really efficient about getting all these photographs of these cars. And, and like, I, I'm going to say this probably in every interview, like I, I know I missed a thousand cars. I want to say for the record, everybody, I know I missed a thousand stories and please don't contact me and say, Oh, you missed this story in this story. I know, I know I did. I'm sorry. The other thing is don't ever get in contact with me about complaining about me shaking drinks. Okay. <laughs> I will shake a Manhattan to the end of my, to the end of my life. I will shake a Manhattan. And I know that isn't for everybody, but please don't, don't yell at me anymore. Stop your cap Instagram comment yelling. So we can kill the last half of uh, our conversation because it was actually all about the cars you missed and shaking no, drinks. <laughs> But on that note, I think uh, I'm gonna refill. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I gotta. Call, I'm gonna have to call down to the troops to come up with some stuff. For me. <laughs> I, I know I'd, I'd send you one, but uh, you know, with COVID and everything, I don't want to contaminate you. Maybe I do if you keep shaking those damn drinks. <laughs> you know, it's funny about the Manhattan, right? Because um, I uh, I came to the Manhattan reasonably late, but there's there was this old school bar that we used to go to, kind of old school steakhouse, and um, they would always shake. Uh, the Manhattan just so that period were just like, you know, get you your drink as quickly as possible. No yeah. one was going to steer it, you know, be stirring a drink for like, you know, to get the ambient and interior temperature correct. It was just like bang it out and pour it out. And I just kind of loved that because it got cloudy, but of course it cleared up beautifully. And there was this crisp coldness to it mm -hmm. that I just love. So that's why I do it. Like I, I'm a nostalgic guy. So like, that's why I do it. And, um, I will continue doing it. I'd be happy to be at your place and have it stirred, but, um, <laughs> man, you get some really opinionated comments when it comes to cocktail preparation. <laughs> and, but hold on. So here's, we're, we're staring. We'll get back to, we'll get back to the, my car, my, uh, the, a man and his stuff, but you, you've got me off on a tangent now. Good. And, uh, are there your is it's your booze and you know how you want to drink it that's right and and you're not drinking shit or swill so okay. let me drink it the way i damn well want to drink it i totally agree and i would never judge anybody on that either and that's why i love i mean i love cheap can laggery beer like give me like a modello all day long in a can like particularly in summer like i love beer like that i don't like hoppy beer it just doesn't agree with me it just it's not my jam you know mm -hmm. well now, see I, I do like hoppy beer but however i do have my mom she gave me that she didn't give me a cool watch however i did get a cool watch. what kind of watch are you wearing by the way i'm gonna uh i have this Rolex Explorer on. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, so she gave me this uh, refrigerator, and it's a beer refrigerator, and it only holds uh, Coors Light cans. And you can think about, like, beers, you know, the cans are a little bit different. But, I mean, if I think about, like, a Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, I mean, I think the cans are kind of all the same, right? So I, I get come home with, I don't know, whatever it was, and I put, you know, Budweiser's in there, and it's like, shit, they don't fit. 
So, so I've become a Yellow Jacket fan. So if you don't know what Yellow Jackets are. I don't know what that is. Okay. Uh, so let's see. It's not trivia, but it's fun. Uh, so he drove a yellow Trans Am. Uh, no, no, no. He drove a brown Trans Am and he had a mustache and a cowboy hat. Um, you mean Burt Reynolds? I do. <laughs> and they were bootlegging what liquor from uh, Texas Four, to Georgia? Four. Coors Yellow Jacket, yeah. So in case, uh, so it's a new one for you. So if you want to use the term, you can. If they have a, a Coors up there, you can say, "Hand me one of those Yellow Jackets." And when they're like, "I don't know what I you're like talking that. about," you say, all, can, "Cannonball Run," one of my, one oh. of my favorite movie series, Dom DeLuise. <laughs> oh yeah, um, But no, I think like that's the thing. Like I, I'm, I don't ever want to be judgy with anyone. You know, I'm, I'm just, I just put together a little, a little small manuscript with about the Negroni and we're doing, we're following it with Martini. And that's um, just a little small format cocktail book that we're doing. And the reality is like, you don't need 80 versions of those things. The, right. the originals are pretty damn good for the record. Yeah. yeah. But I do think there are a few variations that are really nice. Mm -hmm. And um, some people just prep that stuff differently and that's fine. I mean, the Negroni basically happened because of, you know, somebody wanting to do something a little differently. And yeah. I think that, you know, I like doing some stuff differently as much as I am traditionalist, but, and that's why I like, I mean, I don't really shake martinis anymore. I just keep gin in the freezer and it just comes out with it. <laughs> well, the viscosity is there once it comes oh, out. Come on. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, the, so I will say though, I, I mean, I do, I do like, I know I'm probably now I'm getting, uh, they're going to compartmentalize me with you, which may not be a bad thing necessarily. It could be bad for you. Uh, but I do like, you know, I mean, when you shake a martini, especially like if it's really dirty and it comes out and, and if you, and if you really put a good shake on it, you almost get this slush. Yeah. And, and, and it's like on a, you know, think about sitting in, sitting in Rome by the, what's, what's the, uh, the, the fountain there with the horses and all the people coming out of it. I should know yeah, that. The, but, um, uh, the, Versa uh, the Nevi. Ne the Nevi or is it Versailles? Versailles? What, Clara? Nevi. The Nevi. <laughs> yeah. The Nevi fountain. Revy. Revy. The Revy fountain. So you're sitting by the Revy fountain and you just. My daughter's just, like screaming from her room, like correcting my fiance. She's like, no, no, here's the way you drink a martini, dad. <laughs> Revy, Trevi, Trevi. Trevi. Like, will you run down and fix me a drink? No. No, please, por favor. <laughs> no is the answer. Uh, the Trevi Fountain, right, right. So when you're at the Trevi Fountain and you get that dirty martini and it's kind of slushy and the sun's beating down and you've been walking around and you're kind of sweating and it's 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 like a it's like a dirty it's like a salty gin slushy. Yeah, and it's and, like and it's nothing worse than like like in a warm airport martini. Like it's been sitting in like a 10 ounce glass and you're just like, Oh God. It's like, I don't, I don't want to send it back because I don't send them back, but I don't want to drink that either. Cause it's going to taste like shit. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So I, 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 you know, it's funny. We talk about air. Like I used to spend a lot of time in the airport and I miss it a lot. Like pre, uh, yeah. Pre-March. Pre-March. I think. Um, but what I used to love, if I didn't trust the bartender, I would always, and I don't drink a lot of Hendrix, but um, I like more traditional London Drive. But I always felt like if I was going to order a martini from a bartender I didn't trust, 
I would always go with a Hendrix with a twist. Hmm. And I would say 8.57 times, you know, out of 10, you'd get a really good drinkable quality um, cocktail if the temperature was correct. But, you know, there were those times with those cloudy, warm beef eaters with, with olives that I just was like, I can still gag thinking about, but you know, but you learn like, this is the stuff you learn. Like you learn how you like stuff and how you modify your choices from an ideal situation to a not ideal situation to, you know, enjoy a good drink now. And then. If you want to pause, if you've got time, I mean, uh, we, Dan and I can talk about you while you go make a drink. If nobody's going to, I'm, gonna make I'm going one. to convince Clara to, to do okay. it. I got you. My, my daughter, Clara, who's 17 now has been, uh, working at Dante in New York oh. um, as administrator, really? which has been terrific. For, oh, no. Uh, oh, no, no. Dante is, uh, I mean, that is a lovely bar. Uh, Negroni's on tap. Yes. Uh, that, you've got, mean, you've, is that the best thing ever? ever you, you've yes. got, uh, no, it, not not if you drink a lot. <laughs> no, it's not. But don't you well, think, like, don't, what I love about anything on tap like that is that it just immediately speeds up the process uh, yeah you know from your order to to receiving i'm kidding about that no it is absolutely great i mean they've got the white marble counters i mean and really i mean that takes you back to you know i mean when you walk into that place i mean i kind of get old school new york Mm -hmm. like not current modern technology where's my ipad my phone i get hey let's actually sit down let's have a drink and let's actually talk to each other and and i I think it's just amazing i mean they've got a great little um uh uh sidewalk or patio area out there you know yeah i mean that place in the fall uh or springtime i mean that at dante's is uh that is number one New York Negroni destination for me, for sure. Well, what I think is great about Dante is, um, first of all, they're Australian. They're not even American, okay? <laughs> Do they even yeah. drink Negronis in Australia? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, these guys are so, Lyndon is so clever. He comes to New York, takes over uh, an iconic restaurant, uh, coffee shop, but they actually used to serve the worst coffee, but you... <laughs> You know, it just was such a beautiful space. He keeps the name, essentially keeps the space, and then um, really creates this legendary Negroni bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let, and first of all, what the hell is this Australian doing, like taking over <laughs> like, a, like a New York institution with an Italian drink? And he just kills it. He just yeah, does a great nice. job. Yeah. And then during the pandemic, you know, when he refused to close down, New York eased up on the... Um, drinking and, you know, drinking and walking out, drinking outside laws. And and they started doing these to-go cocktails, which just kind of, I don't know, it just brought a community together exactly in the time when they needed it and giving them the thing they needed the most, which was a distraction and a really good drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those guys kept all their employees. They fed healthcare workers. And I, I just think like, why don't you, I mean, you have to support people like that. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, my favorite thing is like, I would drive up and drop Claire off and, uh, they would hand me a Negroni, like in a coffee cup, you know? And I'd say, um, Thanks for the coffee, guys. Delicious, <laughs> delicious coffee. Just in case, like, there was surveillance or any coffee. Hey, Yolanda. 
Yolanda just volunteered to make me a drink. Oh. How, was, how, was, how was that received? She, no, she just said she did not, but thank you. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think that, um, you know, there was this solidarity, um, this community that was created as bars should be, right? Like, that's what we miss about going to bars. That's what we love about going to them is this community that's created there. And um, they were able to continue that, which is epic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Matt, you arbitraged this chapter two. You arbitraged this. We need to hear this story. Okay, so that car, I mean, that was the car that I had um, I had a poster of on my wall when I was high school. in high school. I had a, you know, Porsche Targa Carrera. It probably had a whale tail. You know, I was probably more pimpy then. And then um, when I met... Uh, Yolanda, when she was my girlfriend, she still was friendly with her ex-boyfriend. And he was this very charming character. I mean, totally unthreatening. I was like, we still have internet? Okay. Yes. We're good. We're good. You're back. We, we, had a, we had a little bit of a mess, but yeah, we're good. Yeah. So anyway, we meet, um, we meet Ira, her ex-boyfriend, and he's got this kind of decaying Porsche out front. And Yolanda's like, oh, I made him buy that car. I was like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, like he had the best club in New York and he really wasn't representing. And we went to car auction and I was like, Ira, you got to buy that. That's the car that you need to be driving around in. <laughs> number two, number two, he's taking advice from his ex-girlfriend's current boyfriend. I, I don't know why anybody no, has no, that. Like, no, this no Yolanda was his girlfriend at the time and she made him buy the car. Okay, gotcha. Okay, sorry. So we are, th now this is what, 22 and change years of marriage gives you. <laughs> love, love, my friend. Even though there's no additional ice. I'll, um, yes, I, there is. I heard that. I, tell him, Yolanda. Yes, there is. Delicious. Okay, so we're going to go to, uh, we're going to drive to from San Francisco down to Palm Springs to meet friends for New Year's Eve. Iris says, take the car. And I was like, cool, we could drive down Sultan Sea and go see all this kind of crazy funky stuff and we get to drive this great car and blah 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 blah. Well, Yolanda and I just happened to elope that on that trip. Oh, did wow. you know that that was going to happen? I mean, was it planned or did it was it like in just inspiring on the way and you're like it we're going to do it, this? It, it got planned because we knew we were going to have really close friends there who were all going to have like good clothes, right? They were like Right. Well, you, you are you are a clothes horse yeah so i was like if i'm gonna wear a wedding suit like i gotta make sure all of everybody else is styled out and um you had to make an appointment at the county clerk so we knew that much okay and then we did it and then we drove the car back and i had to give the car back to ira which you know he was very excited about the marriage but he wasn't giving up with that car at that point <laughs> and then a few years down the road we were working on a, a project together and uh he said what do you want to get paid? You know, what's, what's your, your, your stake in this deal? I said, you know, I, I don't want any money. I want that car. <laughs> and that, at that point, the car was sitting in a garage and needed some real TLC. He said, really, you want that Porsche? I said, yeah, it means a lot to me. I mean, I always loved the car and there's an emotional connection and I got married in the car. And he was like, okay, deal. Take the car. You mm. actually sounded like Jay Leno when you said that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, deal. Take the car, kid. Yeah, you know what? 
Um, so yeah. And then, then I got the car and then I was working out in San Francisco quite a bit. So the, I left the car there for a few years and we, I slowly, you know, threw some cash at it to get it back up to speed mechanically. And, and then, uh, and then we shipped it out East and that was some, that was 20, that was 20 years ago. Okay. So, um, but it was my dream car. Yeah. I mean, it was, and it was one of the best horse deals of my life or trade yeah, the, the, old, the old horse trader from uh upstate new york eh? Big <laughs> to new york got the girl and the car <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go too far because yolanda may be listening or she could listen again so she does I, not I, care trust me <laughs> well no I, I didn't mean ira i mean yolanda she may if i if i go like uh hey would have been better to take one or the other or was no. it a good package deal <laughs> so, <laughs> just kidding the, the, just kidding the, the one part of the horse the, i ended up with a uh, with her Jack Russell too, which was a, oh, so then you, so yeah. you know, that, that's for the, um, that's for the next show. <laughs> yeah. That's for the next show. But, um, no, I mean, and that, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what is your fantasy car? If you could pick, I own it. Like I own the fantasy car. Like that was the car I literally had the poster of. And, um, to have the privilege of owning that thing, uh, and with such this kind of convoluted story, no, but shit, but it's exactly what a man in his car is about. I mean, you've yeah. got a story about a car that's like, there's no way that I believe you. I, I, I believe you, but I'm just saying, if you told that story sitting at a bar, a la bar, it's yeah. like, people are going like, they in no damn way. Somebody gave you, uh, said, Hey, just take my car and my ex-girlfriend <laughs> and go get married. Like that's bullshit. It ain't, it ain't happening. But I mean, that, but that's the point of the book though. Right. And it's like a yeah. story that's just, it's, it's tellable and it's, you may not believe it, but believe it because it's true. Yeah. And I think, you know, there were, you know, there's a great story from Ed Burns, you know, director, actor, Ed Burns. Sure. And I met him through my, through my wife and, we just happened to be on this vacation as a big group together and he showed up and I was sort of in awe of him. Like, I was like, I love your, you know, I love this movie. I was kind of fanboy and trying not to, and I literally on his way to the airport, all packed up waiting for the taxi to arrive. He said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What are you working? And I said, Oh, right now I'm working on this car book. And, and all of a sudden, like the taxi pulled up and he was like, tell that guy to wait. And he said, I got a car story for you. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is good. And he tells me this story about a kid from Long Island with this dream of this muscle car and the journey to get it. And he could own at that point any car that he wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, that was not the point. The point was to to find that car and buy that car that he remembered working in a gas station in Long Island and saying, that's, that's the car. Oh, wow. That's the car for me. And and then I was like, holy shit. Like that is, that's what the book is about. Oh, he that's sucked that. you in. Now you're even more fanboy. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> I love Ed <laughs> uh, particularly when he was like, call me Eddie. I was like, okay. Eddie. Um, but you know, and then I went out to Long Island and you know, the car's not perfect. It's not pimped out. It's not overly restored. It's as you probably would have seen it pumping gas, 
you know, as a 17-year-old in Long Island. Wow. So I don't know what the car is, and the listeners may or may not, and the viewers may or may not. Well, he may not want to show it. There it is. It's the Cutlass, right? Oh, you got it. Okay. Oh, yeah, the Cutlass. The Cutlass. What is that, like a 60, 68, 69, 71? 69. 69, yeah. Convertible. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So, you know, that's the... You know, that was the journey was to kind of dig up all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, mortal or immortal. Yeah, but so hold on. So I'm, I'm not to. Yeah, I do want to embellish. But think about so you're with Ed Burns randomly and you're writing a book and you had no idea that you were going to do uh, Ed Burns's 69 Cutlass. No idea. And, and you happen to be in a, this place. I know I'm kind of repeating the story, but some, some people may be chiming in and out or tuning in and out. <laughs> but I mean, how crazy is that? That it's like, shit, we've, we've got an Ed Burns car. But, and it's not, the, it is the car, but it's more the man and his car. I mean, you put the two pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, first uh, of all, I think like people, I would hope people, you know, begin to make this connection to like, not Ed Burns, the actor, director, producer, but like Ed Burns, the, the guy who yeah. we, all, we all relate to. Ralph Lauren, the guy, Jay Leno, the guy, Kevin Costner, the guy, mm-hmm. because, you know, the common thread is there's a lot of just guys in that book mm-hmm. that, you know, without their accolades or the work that they've done are just like guys who want to shoot the shit and talk about cars. Mm-hmm. And um, that I think is the, you know, this unifying factor, which is so great. Like, you know, you can go to a very fancy concourse and, you know, there's a bunch of hedge fund guys who buy a Ferrari to like get return on their investment. And it's just soulless. Mine you was know? rented, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I just find that to be soulless. Like I'd rather hang out with a bunch of gearheads, you know, uh, on a, on an old golf course with low riders you know, that, that have more authenticity in their passion. I did see you had the Snoop Davila in there. Oh yeah. Come on. What'd you, what'd you do with Snoop that you can announce? (laughs) Well, I finally got access to Snoop and I know he had all these amazing cars and you know, some he sold off. I I, I remember one convertible that he had like a, you know, it was like a Gucci drop. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew he was a big car guy. I loved, I loved the idea of hip hop and car culture. Yep. And um, I knew there was this Snoop DeVille. So I finally, after many, many months of figuring it out, uh, you know, got the email to like show up at this place outside by the LA airport. And, uh, and there was the, that was the Cadillac. And uh, it wasn't even running. We had to like push it onto the set <laughs> to get it shot. But it was so great. Like I love personalization and customization in cars. And the fact that like Snoop DeVille and Coop DeVille like flawlessly, you know, translate to an image. What? Yeah. I mean, that guy's a, he's a wordsmith man for sure. Yeah. And you know, and Snoop was nowhere to be seen of course, but the car (laughs) definitely kind of, you know, just kind of felt like, you know, it was just like his presence was there. Yeah. Well, because it was emblazed Snoop DeVille. Uh, Yes. Uh, Let's see. Snoop was either, uh, he was getting high coaching, uh, uh, what, uh, not Pee Wee, Pop Pop Warner Warner football (laughs) or, or a little bit of both or getting high (laughs) or or both. Yeah. Actually (laughs) his interview, which was kind of clandestine 
was a kind of clandestine interview through a, my contact that introduced me. I mean, he is so high. He is so high in that interview. And, uh, and it, it's a very short interview, but it, it's so poignant when you know him talking about his like Dotson that was on the cover of one of his first albums, you know, yeah. but, um, no, I think like all that car culture carryover, uh, to like, to what a guy, what it meant to a guy in Long Island, like Ed, what it meant to a guy like me growing up in Binghamton or what it meant to a guy like Snoop growing up in Compton. You know, like all that stuff is intensely relatable mm-hmm. and brings us all together. You know, it's a socio demographic uh, kind of melange of characters where it's, we're all on equal footing. You know, mm-hmm. what's that? Yeah. Sure. Well, okay, hold on, hold, hold on. Don't be so anxious. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so I, I did bring this out to see if you recognize this place. Jerry Thomas speaking. No, where's that? In Rome. I've never been there. Where in Rome is it? Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, well, now you, you're challenging me. I, I've owned. A, I've been to Rome three times, I believe. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. <laughs> okay, and I'll. Uh, yeah, we should connect on. Uh, I'll connect you with a couple of the folks on Instagram um, that uh, we keep in contact with. You know. Uh, uh, you know. Okay, I'm a. I'm a I'm a uh, creature of habit. I noticed you've been clicking your pen the whole time. <laughs> um, but uh, I go to um, I go to just a couple of my favorite places when I'm in Rome, and I just I usually don't veer off the path. Mm-hmm. What's the hotel up on the hit? So you go up the <laughs> steps, take a right, and uh, the hotel the on the Hassler, yes. Yeah, that's the Hassler. They make a very good Negroni there. They they well, I had several drinks there, and they didn't kick me out, so I knew I know I didn't have too many, so everything was cool. Uh, yeah, but uh, so the Jerry Thomas Project is not there. It's like you would have to go. I, I'm and I'm I'm not directionally challenged until I'm in another country, mm-hmm. just because I don't go there often. But the Jerry Thomas Project speakeasy. And uh, it, it's probably one of the better places we actually sat with. I'd have to look, but it was the Duke of um, shit. I don't know. Uh, like, I, don't, I, I want to say Dane, but not. Uh, yeah, it's, we sat with some dude. It was his birthday and there was a handful of people. It was a crazy thing. But the Jerry <laughs> Thomas Project in Rome is one of those places that you go into. And it's a little hole in the wall kind of thing, but it's safe and, and it's fine. Uh, I converted to a pencil, so I'm not clicking anymore. Oh no, you can click all you want. It's your show. <laughs> well, I made it, I made it, I made a note. That's really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I can't believe I've shared something with you about Italy that you're uh, that you don't already know. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for that one, bud. Hey, listen, like it's not all etched in stone. I'm I'm open. I'm an open book. I'm, I'm I need more intel. You know, so, you can't do it all. Yeah. It's a good, good spot. Great cocktails. Uh, the couple of people I'll have to look to see who is behind the bar, but uh, we definitely, uh, my girl keeps up with them more than I do. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Maybe we're getting a new Porsche. Maybe she's getting Sounds a new good. Porsche. <laughs> Sounds good. I like this girl already. <laughs> exactly. Well, I cannot not uh, talk about this on the on the show uh, for many reasons. One of which, uh, my dad will probably listen to this and he'll want to hear about this guy. And number two is probably one of my top five movies of all time. Can you can you elaborate? How did this come about? Okay, the, I, I mean, I love Costner. I think I think Kevin Costner is. I mean, I've I've always been a huge fan. 
um, a really, really dear friend of mine um, ended up moving to Santa Barbara, and he just happened to be Cosner's neighbor. Oh, gosh. So um, Cosner shows up to parties and things and, you know, just random beach walk, you know, meetups and stuff like that. And, you know, when you see him, you're like, <laughs> exactly. It's like dances with wolves. You know, that's like Cosner. Like Ed Burns times 10. Yeah. I mean, and he's like just a super cool, mellow dude. And at one point we, we run into Cosner on the, on the beach and he's like, Hey Matt, how you doing? You know, what, what do you, again, like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm working on this car book and, uh, I'm staying with Dewey here for a couple of days. And he said, well, what's the car book all about? And I said, you know, I explained the project. And he's like, you know, I got the, um, uh, the green Shelby, you know, from Bull Durham. But I was like, the one on the poster? He's like, yeah, it's up there sitting in the garage. Like, you should go check it out. Oh, you almost did that Jay Leno voice again. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very Jay-like. I mean, I am, Jay and I have a similar tonal expression. So I go and I go into basically which is like this beat up garage that has like, you know, laundry facilities in it. And we peel back the car and there's the car. Wow. And he tells me a story about, you know, how he like, loves to carry, uh, loves to, uh, uh, he always keeps something from a film. He likes to keep one oh, cool. like, costume or prop or whatever. And, and in this case, it was the car. So he convinced the producer to sell him that car. And it was all original. It had the movie plate still on it. The mm -hmm. thing started up and, and, you know, it was just so great. He basically like hands me the keys and he's like, you know, do what you need to do. And when you're done, park it in the garage and cover it up. And here's the button to drop the garage. And, you know, I'll see you when I see it. Oh, man. And uh, it was so it's in great. New York now. <laughs> I, I actually probably could have just ran away with the damn car. Um, but he incredibly generous and uh, kind of great story. And uh, I mean, for me to have that Mustang represented just in the kind of stable of cars in the book yeah. was, was pretty great. It was yeah. pretty great. That is amazing. I like the way you just said stable and Mustang. I see what you did there. <laughs> Number two. So but did you follow it up with, uh, hey, Crash? <laughs> no. No. Like, uh, please, Mr. Costner. Oh, yeah. Well, that, hey, that's just my accent, man. I can't help that. Please, Mr. Costner, can I photograph your uh, uh, so, so that was cool. So, uh, so Kevin's just a uh, regular dude? He's, a, he's an incredibly good dude. And um, I guess I could tell this story. When I first met him, um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty well known that Kevin Costner likes, um, his marijuana. <laughs> I think it's out there. It's out there somewhere. And I am, I necessarily, I'm a total amateur. Like I, I don't, it's not that I don't like it. I just, I'm like a total idiot on it's it. Like, say, hit it harder. <laughs> and, 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 and one time there was this party going on at my friend's house and all of a sudden it's Cosner, me and Cosner are on the front porch and he's like, I don't know, do you want to smoke some weed? And I was just like, do you turn down smoking no. Kevin Cosner? <laughs> no. You don't turn to anything. It's like if Kevin's like, hey, man, you want to come in the back room with me and uh, I got something to show you? It's like, I don't know what he's showing me, but I guess I'm going to find out. Or like, I don't know, do you, do you want to kill a cat? Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm with, I mean, you've killed buffaloes and wolves. I love, and 
By the way, I love cats. Yeah. For all those listeners, I would never harm a cat. <laughs> okay, so I decide, yeah, of course I have to do this. And, you know, I'm trying to fake it. You know, I'm just sort of like, you know, and he's like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on. And, uh, and before you know it, a, a bunch of people, including my friend, come out to the front porch. And I remember I was holding a glass of wine. And then all of a sudden, this like total pro product hits me square in the face. Like, I just was like, I don't know what that was, but that was nothing like I'd ever had before. <laughs> and then I just was like glazed over. And it was probably around 7.30 at night. And I just looked at my buddy and I handed him my wine and I said, good night, everybody. <laughs> and I literally fell asleep and didn't wake up till the next day. Wow. And without, you know, I was just like on my ass and I was like, I had been in the presence of professionals. At that point. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a, that's an amazing story there. <laughs> yeah. And I saw him the next day and he drove out and he had this like little BMW Z4. <laughs> and I saw him and he goes, Hey, Hey, Matt, Matt, come here, come here, come here. Come here. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, uh, Hey, Hey, Kevin, how you doing? And he goes, heard you got into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yes i did sir this is not a covid laugh this is not covid this is this is actually oh, us sitting around a virtual bar having a good well oh, it's a good conversation for me i hope you're having a good time yeah. sir yeah. i bet i heard you got in a little bit of trouble <laughs> that's great that is true oh man Hey, so, uh, and you followed up with, uh, let's hit it again. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Oh shit. I know my limitations with spirits and yes. that's, that's the, that's the lane I choose. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, that's the funniest thing I've heard all day. Kevin, if you hear, if you ever, if you get to the, if you ever hear this podcast, I just want to say like, it is an epic story. It's one of my favorite cocktail stories. Absolutely. So I'm I'm sending it to Kevin. I don't know if you'll listen to it or not, but anyway, like we're, I'm clipping this shit out and I'm sending it directly to Kevin. And I'm like, Kevin, I want you to give me the real story about how it went down because Matt was so stoned, he has no idea what the fuck he did, and I want to know exactly how he how he acted. I was so stoned, I didn't eat anything. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's when you know you're really really in a yeah, well, in a spot you know, I, i'm a total am, absolute amateur absolute amateur. so matt how many um different countries are pictures taken in this book here so i traveled um to the uk we were in continental europe so italy france i didn't get to germany um so i would say like that was the big concentration of the car story was italy italy france england Mm-hmm. And then all across the U.S., mostly um, East Coast, yep. extreme West Coast, yep. um, just for the sake of time and, you know, schlepping this, you know, I schlepped this huge backdrop around. Mm. It was like a 30 by 40 ripstop nylon. I carried around like this hockey duffel <laughs> with bands and stuff. Hockey duffel. And after a while, I was just like, I mean, when I finally got done with that thing. 
it's up at my house right now it, up in the, I, I just want to burn it. So, <laughs> was there uh, ever a point in time when you were filming and you were like, just like, eh, shit, I don't know if this is going to work. It's not worth it. Or, or was it like every time did, 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 was there anything in the, was there like, or any car or any story that's like, damn, this is why I'm doing this. And this is why I know I'm doing this. It kind of just, uh, you know, it helped you to excel and progress you through what you were doing. When you get those cars in the right light and you start looking at them the way designers anticipated and wanted them to be looked at, you know, in daylight, coming at you, going away from you or in profile, that's the way cars essentially are designed. Mm -hmm. And my brother has been in car design for many, many years and works for Tesla now. And we talked about this. Like I said, Nate, like when you, when you guys are designing cars, like, what are the views that you're anticipating? And these are the views, right? So I would say all the cars that I photographed and was interested in captivated me once they were in front of me. I was just like, wow, this is so great. There were stressful moments where you have a $4 million Delahaye on a backdrop and the wind kicks up to 35 miles an hour. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're just like, what are we, you know, like the, the backdrop turns into a sail and you're like, can we, there's a, there's a picture in the front of the book, Dan, like mm -hmm. of me hustling around a set to it's in the front of photographing this very rare, um, very early Morgan and, um, oh, Hudson yeah. rather, sorry, oh, yeah. Hudson. Yeah. The Hudson. And dude, that is crazy stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, because you don't want, you don't want the backdrop falling on the car and just, but every time these cars pulled up, I just felt incredibly fortunate and lucky to be able to translate them photographically. You know, there's funny, I've had one bad review so far. I'm sure there'll be more. I mean, people love saying but that. It depends on how this goes. You could <laughs> have two more. Uh, I don't want you two. Oh no. Oh no. I gotta get you a good review here. Yeah. So on Amazon and some guy was like, this book is so amateurish. Like you only get one or two views and you see the reflection mm. of the sky and trees and what kind of car book is that? And basically he transcribed almost word to word my art direction for this book <laughs> to my publisher, <laughs> which is like, I want to see cars in daylight. I want to see cars the way designers thought they would be seen in the real world, not pristine and over retouched and in studio. And, you know, even though we do have moments like for example, with the Peterson or Ford, where they were photographed yeah. in studio because you couldn't bring them outside. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the approach to them visually that way. Like as we would see them in a Trader Joe's parking lot, Yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, I've definitely been there where I've saw some extraordinary car in a mall parking lot and thought to myself, wow, this mm -hmm. is a magical object. And this is the way it should be seen mm -hmm. with a little bit of dirt on it or mm -hmm. like a four by four with mud on the tires. Like that, that's just, you know, I had seen enough like doctored up pristine images of cars that um i didn't want to show it that way yeah but our cars made to be vehicles cars what are you going to call it are made to be used uh hey just to be conscious of your time sir um i, I don't want to run over if you've got uh, other engagements uh you know we could I mean, i'm just I'm firing up the grill that's all 
Okay. That's, that's all I got going on. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no. So what I was saying was, uh, I mean, but think about a car in its natural environment as you were going. And I mean, I think that's what you're capturing. And I was listening to, or I don't know if I read it or, or listened, but you were talking about, uh, I think it's in LA and there's uh, a place called The Vault. Yeah. That's and the, the vault. You see it. And, okay. And, and The Vault is just a parking garage. It's yeah. just, uh, it's, but marketing captures it as unique. Right. And, but really the unique, when I heard you say that, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll give you that the vault gives it that kind of unique um, perspective. However, it's what's inside the vault that counts. And if you said, hey, come over to the parking garage and do it, I hope I'm not paraphrasing or, or ripping on you, but. Um, I get the point of the vault, but it's really what's inside and, and it doesn't really matter where it's at. That's why I think the, uh, the Land Rover on the front of the page, mm-hmm. like really sets off the book and what you're trying to accomplish there. I, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's good. I I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, Dan vault, sending me mine. <laughs> the vault is what, what you're talking about is the, the, the basement It's basically the basement parking garage at the Peterson museum, mm-hmm. yep. Los Angeles. Yeah. And when you get access to that, how do you choose a car? No. I, I mean, I just was overwhelmed. It was, it was sort of like, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's like, how do you choose the thing? Yep. And yep. I just picked the lane because they had so many cool kind of iconic Hollywood cars from Magnum PI's 308 <laughs> to, um, well, the, you know, Elvis Presley Pantera where he shot the st- steering wheel mm-hmm. when it wouldn't start. And I just was like, that's the lane. Like all these iconic cars that I had reference points to from my life growing up, like the DeLorean, you know? Yeah. And I just felt I had a limited amount of time with them. They were incredibly generous. So just let's quickly find the lane to tell the story of what's actually in that vault because they had just insane stuff. Mm-hmm. So again, I guess to my point of missing a thousand cars, you know? Yeah, no, but, but right. But no, rightfully no, no, so. you, no, you're missing. You you've done the first book of, uh, Many. you know, 99 or 999, <laughs> whatever the number is. I mean, you, you haven't missed anything. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, you've, you've cracked the, uh, you know, you've, you've driven a wedge into where do we go next? Yep. Well, you realize that there's so many, there's so many car collections out there with, you know, with people with, you know, even, and again, like not even people of celebrity and great wealth. Like there's there's guys who've squirreled away every nickel that they've ever made into a collection of like Firebirds, yeah, Maros, yeah. You know, and you're like, holy cow! Like you, you 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 know, I during this ridiculous moment in time, this pandemic, I you know, I've never spent so much time behind the wheel of a car and uh we've i've never had the luxury of spending so much time at my place in upstate new york so i was sort of like if i could wheel and deal and buy a car here and there which was my fantasy thing if i could like make a chess move and so we bought a couple a couple vehicles that we always wanted to have you know in our lives oh what'd you get 
and one of them was this this 450 SL. Like I, as a kid of the 80s, like I loved that car. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, my daughter said to me, um, we were driving through the West Village in New York, and she said, "Oh, what's that?" I said, "Oh, that's a that's a 280 SL. Like that's such a cool car." She's like, "Oh my god, I love that the convertible Mercedes." Da, da, da. <laughs> and I said, "Well, diesel, diesel." No, a gas, gas. Okay. And we, we, and I said, oh, we should try to find one of those. So I kind of started poking around and had squirreled away um, a little slush fund. Yolanda's here, so. Uh, Hello, Yolanda. I didn't do that. Hi. Yolanda, lean in, lean in here, so we can get you on the video. <laughs> Say hello. Oh, I'm so. Hola, 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 hola. Um, so I, I was like, oh, I'm going to use this excuse of Clara falling in love with this car to actually get a car that I loved when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up buying one out of Nashville and chipping it up. And it was it's been so much fun, you know, driving that around and using that as like the market runner and, you know, I think those cars are still under the radar. They, right. They're not really commanding a lot of money, but there are just a time, a period of time when Mercedes was just making these fantastic, you know, tanks of a car. When I, when I went to register the car and the woman says, is this correct? This car is 5,600 pounds. <laughs> like this is a two door convertible sports car and it's 5,600 pounds. And I was like, Welcome to Deutschland. <laughs> you know, that, they, the Mercedes was not messing around. Like they, <laughs> they built a tank of a car. Oh my! And, and the other funny thing is, Yolanda drove the car, and she said, um, "Are the brakes okay on that thing? Like it's a little." And we drive a modern Land Rover, right? I said, "You have to stop a lot sooner." I said, Yolanda. And a friend of mine who's the uh, car expert at, at Bonhams, he said, you know, car companies got the get up and go really quickly. It was the stopping that took so long. <laughs> and, and, and that's true. I mean, the brakes on this car. Yeah, you better be prepared to stop. But that's the joy in driving old cars. Like you get tuned into, you know, even the period of what it was like. I love listening to music that was recorded in the period of the car. Yeah, like my yeah. 87 Porsche has a CD uh, that a friend of mine uh, made that's all like 1980s songs. Name, name a couple, give me a couple of bands or songs. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of hip hop in there. So it's like a lot of like Public Enemy and NWA nice. and stuff like that. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's a guy from you know San Francisco that's who like, lives, lives in the East Bay. Uh, so no, we, we noticed a, uh, uh, so is that the guy? So Dan and I, we were, uh, we were pre-gaming on you, uh, not yeah. ganging up, just pre-gaming and making sure that we had our shit together, which we clearly do not, yeah. but, uh, it's the easy, uh, sticker on the, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So that's Matt Jacobson. So that Porsche, mm-hmm. he found that somebody found that car. I guess there was in the fifties up into the 60s there was a porsche dealership in compton and there uh it was obviously a much different neighborhood at the time and this straight out of compton (laughs) straight out of compton this porsche was had the original dealer place and everything and it was disassembled and found in a garage 
uh, in Compton from some old timer that had bought it from the dealership who was there. So he took that car and restored the car as it was meant to be and just thought as a great homage, like put that NWA uh, air freshener in there. Perfect. Why not? It has all the original Compton dealership stickers and everything on it. It's kind of, it is amazing car. Have you seen the movie by the way? Oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that. That movie is. I married. Is... Like, I married NWA's biggest fan, Yolanda Edwards. Yolanda Edwards. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll measure that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I think that the um, you know that again, like that is the journey of all these vehicles, which is um, these you know Matt Jacobson, who I really admire. Um, could probably afford to do anything he wanted with that car. Right. But it was really, really important to him to bring it up to original specs and to pay homage homage to that place and that neighborhood um, to what it was mm-hmm. and then to what it became yeah. in, in the most respectful, cool way. And yeah. plus, he's like, like me, like a kid of the 80s and was, you know, aspiring to live that gangbanger life like, like I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're, you're a gangbanger like i'm a yeah. gangbanger like Ga- dan's a gang exactly like, <laughs> i could I, I grew up in green county so i wish i could do a g i don't know that's a sign yeah uh hold on so uh and i know we gotta let you go we've we we kept you on for too yeah. long mm-hmm. so we, we don't want to keep you uh too long or actually you don't want to stay too long it's true too yeah, we'll Number two, my, uh, my, my biggest deficit is like nobody wants to make me a drink in this house. Uh, how do you, so uh, you're having coffee? How are you taking it? I'm having what? Coffee. Y- you're having coffee. Black. How- black. Black. Yeah. Uh, just just straight and black. I love. I like drip. I like drip coffee. Black. Yeah. Okay. Or espresso. You know, I used to drink a lot of milk and then I just, for some reason, it just kind of disappeared from the house or we got lazy about it. And again, like simple ingredients enjoyed the best way. Like I love black yep. drip coffee. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Cheers. <laughs> uh, Matt Hranick. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, wh- where, where can people find you and a man and his car. Okay, you could find a man and his car at your favorite bookstore, I hope. If not, you have Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can find me at on Instagram at WM Brown Project and at WM Brown Project Ma- at WM Brown Magazine. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, and uh, I answer every single DM. I want to hear what everybody has to say and what they think about what's going on on the digital side of things as well as the magazine. So, um, just don't yell at me for shaking drinks. That's all I get. That's yeah, all I say. Perfect. <laughs> Give me an extra shake here, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Thanks guys. Right. A pleasure. Bye.